Welcome to Forgotten Events. I'm your host, Katie. Fredericktown, Missouri, about 90 miles south of St. Louis, was shaken to its core one day in 1989 when a young girl simply disappeared. This is the story of Gina Dawn Brooks. It was August 5th when down at the local baseball field, a blonde-haired, green-eyed 13-year-old teenager named Gina Dawn Brooks was watching her brother play ball. At around 10 p.m. when the game was wrapping up, Gina began her trek home. When she arrived home, she said goodnight to her mother, Cindy Box, who went to bed. Gina then told her brother she was going out for a bike ride. I can't imagine her mother would be okay with her out that late at night, so I'm a little puzzled as to why she went out that late. But she left the house around 10.30 p.m. dressed in a blue striped top, white shorts, and sneakers. On her route to her destination, she was confronted by the occupants in a station wagon in front of First Street Baptist Church. Gina just pedaled on by. She later turned the corner to High Street, where she met up with her boyfriend. At this point, Gina is about five blocks from her home. That station wagon, it appeared again. And right after that, there was a loud scream and the station wagon sped away with Gina inside. Her bike was later found lying in the street. Around 2 a.m., her mother, Cindy, woke up and discovered Gina was not in her room. She called police, and it didn't take long for them to put two and two together. By daybreak, Fredericktown was crawling with city, county, state, federal officials. Posters went up. Yellow ribbons hung from trees. People were frantically looking for Gina. But years would go by without a solid lead. It was a cold case. Gina Dawn Brooks would become the poster child for cold cases in the St. Louis area. It just seemed as if she vanished. Eventually, a letter from Connecticut, which by the way, had nothing to do with Gina, would change the entire game. Laura Michelle Dinwiddie had been murdered in St. Louis in 1975. That case, like Gina's, also went cold. Nearly 20 years later, St. Louis Homicide Commander David Heath found a letter waiting for him from Dinwiddie's mother in Connecticut asking him to never forget the case. It's strange how these things come together, isn't it? Heath turned the case over to homicide detective Chris Pappas. As Pappas dug backwards into the Dinwiddie case, he discovered the original informer in that case was a then 14-year-old teenager named Danny Williams. Williams fingered a friend for Dinwiddie's murder. As Pappas looked into Williams's background, 
he discovered that Williams had served time not just for the rape of a 13-year-old girl in 1979, but was now in prison for the rape and sodomy of a 10-year-old girl in 1989. The same year Gina went missing. That crime landed him a life sentence as a repeat offender, as it should have. Fortunately, before long, Detective Pappas had enough evidence to tie Williams to the Dinwiddie case. And then came Gina Dawn Brooks. Pappas and FBI agent Bill Francis began the chase, and soon enough, the name Nathan Danny Williams popped up again. They discovered Williams's brother had a close friend who lived very near Gina's home, and Williams visited that area several times. A police source said during the investigation, Williams eventually agreed to take a lie detector test about Gina, and he failed. And that 1989 rape and sodomy case he was later convicted of, well, it happened one month after Gina's abduction. Now it was time to close in on Williams. So what is the evidence connecting her to Williams? To understand that, you have to invoke the names of Bryant Squires and Timothy Bellew, two close friends of Danny Williams. Later, all three men would be implicated in Gina's kidnapping. While trying to tie Williams to Gina, the case unfortunately went cold. But they did pull out all the stops. The FBI arrived using subterranean probing tools. A psychic said Gina would be found at the bottom of a quarry, so of course they drained it. A meat freezer was dug up on a suspect's farm. This search spanned from the Canadian Mounties to the Cayman Islands. But nothing. The FBI then made a videotape detailing the case, asking for help but they weren't asking just anybody for help. They distributed the tape to prisoners in the Missouri Department of Corrections, seeking information on anyone who might have been involved with Danny Williams. The FBI was contacted and the same two names came up, Squires and Bellow. Now, Bryant Squires died of cancer in 1996, but before he did, he reportedly made deathbed confessions to two nurses implicating Williams and himself in Gina's abduction and murder. Squires allegedly told the nurses he was the driver of the station wagon. And according to the nurses, he said Williams held Gina in the back seat and killed her. Squires also said the pair was involved in many other cases, but... His confession of involvement in some of those have proven to be completely untrue. Detectives believe Timothy Bellew was the third person in the station wagon that night. Bellew would be charged with second-degree murder in Gina's case after confessing to investigators that he saw Williams kill Gina. That was his story. That's what he saw. But after his stories kept changing and falling apart, charges were eventually dropped. Bellew was then charged with lying to FBI multiple times about the location of Gina's remains. 
Now, he pleaded guilty and was sentenced to 30 months in prison. But Bellew would later be convicted in 1990 for sexually assaulting a seven-year-old girl, and he would be sentenced to five years in prison. Today, he still lives in the Fredericktown area, but unfortunately, police officials refer to him as unstable and not reliable. In 1998, nine years after Gina went missing, Nathan Danny Williams was charged with her murder. Oh, it was about time. Now, the investigators worked relentlessly on the case. And it was Pappas who walked into Williams's prison cell and personally served him with the murder warrant. That had to feel good. But as we all know, the wheels of justice move ever so slowly. Williams pleaded not guilty, and in 2003, the murder charge was dropped for fear of the possibility of double jeopardy. This is not the case to risk double jeopardy, so I think I understand why the charges were dropped. With Williams already locked away for life on the rape charge, time was on the state side to keep building your case. I mean, there's no statute of limitations on the murder or the kidnapping. After years of interviews with acquaintances of Williams, detectives believe he could be connected up to a dozen murders across that county. Today, he sits in a Jefferson City prison where he won't be eligible for parole until 2039. Now, more than 30 years after Gina's disappearance, investigators have all retired. But back in Fredericktown, Eric Hovis is now the police chief. And like other investigators, he is never giving up hope. Hovis vows he will see this to the end. Williams's lawyer, Joel Schwartz, is quoted as saying, I haven't heard from Mr. Williams in over 20 years. All I can tell you is that he denies having anything to do with this. I personally cannot imagine the torture Gina's mother has had to endure all these years, not knowing what happened and not knowing who or why. We can only hope that with today's technology, someone somewhere will come forward with information because, folks, it appears that all roads lead to current technology. Thank you for listening to Forgotten Events. Check back soon for more stories.